If you've been here any length of time, you know that I'm not typically a, uh, a political, I'm not very political from the, the pulpit. Uh, it can cause a lot of, you know, dissension. Uh, but today, there is, um, there is a law that's in consideration that I do think that as Christians and citizens, we sort of have an obligation to support. It's uh, California, um, it's, a, it's bipartisan, it's uh, AB7. And if, if AB7 passes, we will no longer ever have daylight savings time. So please, please uh, do your Christian duty and call your state representatives and, and put an end to the tyranny of time change. <laughs> uh, the series is called Made to Rest. This is the final part of, of this series. Uh, but it's ironically or interestingly, perhaps, uh, what we found in Scripture is that rest is really something that uh, it's, it's drawn from right worship in the Bible. Rest is not something uh, that you get by, by getting an extra hour of sleep at night. It's, it's actually some soul rest, a deep uh, abiding peace. That kind of rest is something that happens when we worship properly. And we saw that right worship in Scripture is, is designated as, as coming from heart, head, and hands. It's, it comes from the heart. There's an emotional aspect to it. It's in the head. There's a, there, it has to be truthful. It has to be educated, intellectual. Uh, we need to be t- knowing who God is and what God is like. It's not just foo-foo, fun land. And it's also in hands. It's embodied. It's physical. Um, and that can, uh, in, in worship, it can be things like standing, but it can also just be intentional about the fact that we're embodied because um, our bodies have an impact on our minds uh, and, and the way that we think and act. And so by, by being physically present in worship, we actually um, we are, are more holistic. And we, see, we saw this throughout the Old Testament. Last week, we went to the New Testament and saw what happens when worship gets crazy, out of whack. Uh, Paul was dealing with a church um, in Corinth that had lost its head in worship. Worship was just craziness. People were running around going, blah, 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 blah. it was, it was kind of wild and out of control. And Paul's like, the problem here is you've lost your minds. You've got the heart, you've got the hands, but you lost your minds. And now worship is crazy. It's damaging people rather than building up the church. And we speculated that any, any out-of-whack worship, if worship becomes something that's simply in the mind or simply something we do with our hands, it becomes damaging to ourselves in the church. And it, and it prevents us from having the rest that God intended worship to have. Now, today, there are some people, uh, quite a few actually, who are not super excited about singing. Uh, I, I know a guy, uh, and he's like, he's like, I just, it just feels weird. Uh, you know, sometimes these songs, it sounds like, you know, I'm singing a love song to my invisible boyfriend in the sky, and I just, I don't vibe to that. And I get that, I do. Um, and I counsel this guy, I'm like, look, I understand where you're coming from. That, that doesn't excuse you from, from singing, but it is an indicator that that's not probably your lane. Right? That's not where your, your strength in worship is. But that doesn't mean that you don't have strength in worship. The question is, where is it, and how can you engage it? And so that's the question that's going to be animating us today. Are there ways to worship that don't involve singing? And what about worship outside the church? Or what about worship on the weekdays? And this is something that Paul addresses, and so we're going to look at what he has to say. Let's, let's read the text. This is um, New King James. This is uh, Colossians three fifteen to 17 um, and Paul says this, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, 
teaching and admonishing one another in sermons? No. In psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Interesting. Singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do, word or deed, it's deed, but really it's just the Greek for work. So whether, whatever you do in word or work, um, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now to begin, I just want to highlight um, that we, ha- we don't have the context here because we haven't been in Colossians, but, but basically uh, what, what, what's happened is Paul has been describing, he's been dealing with some issues. He's been dealing with some issues, and he's finally dealt with them all, and now he says, and because of all that, this is what you got to do. Notice the and, the let, or let, whatever you do. These are all imperatives in Greek. It's, it's, it's almost softened in English because it sounds like let the peace of God in your heart. It sounds kind of like, and maybe that should, be, that should happen. That would be cool. Really, in Greek, it's more like the peace of God is going to rule in your hearts, right? The word of Christ is going to dwell in you richly, right? And whatever you do, you're going to do it in th- this way, right? It's, it's, it's emphatic, it's imperative, and it's drawn on, it's drawn from the fact that Paul has just dealt with a whole bunch of problems. The, the problem with, in, that the churches in Colossae had, or one of, some of the problems that they had, is that they, um, there were people who came to believe in Jesus, but, but worship for them, worship and spirituality had always been tied to things like rituals, and, you know, events and feasts. It had been tied to um, doing the same things over and over and over again. And, and so the Spirit came. We saw this last week. The Spirit came, turned everything upside down, right? But these people were still living or wanting to live as if the Spirit hadn't come at all. They wanted what was comfortable. This is, um, I, you've seen the, the, the Shawshank Redemption. Uh, one, apparently, this this movie is like one of the most um, all time profitable movies of all time because what they say is the Shawshank Redemption is uh, it's the movie that's, that that uh, people who are flipping channels on TV are most likely to stop and watch when it comes on. This is a true fact, and so it's it's a billion dollar property because if you're TBS or whatever, if you put on the Shawshank, people will be like, oh, I remember that movie. That movie was great, and they sit there and they watch the commercials. In Shawshank Redemption, uh, Andy and Red are um, violent criminals, and they are placed in prison for a very long time. And through their friendship and their time together, they, there's a theme that keeps going, coming up. And the theme is this. If you spend all of your time in prison, your life is spent in prison, you become accustomed to prison. In fact, there are some prisoners who over time start to love prison. It's great because, you know, they're, they're used to it. All of their friends are there. Really, their community is prisoners. They've been there for decades. The rules are set, and they know exactly what they're supposed to do. They know what the expectations are. And they actually become afraid of being released. There's a character in the movie who, who, who gets out, and every time he gets out, he commits a crime. So they'll send him back to the place where he's honestly happiest. This is very much analogous to the experience of the churches when the Spirit of God came and freed them up from a spirituality that was based on, you know, pro forma, wrote, a spirituality that was based on old fake teachings, a spirituality that was built on ritual and like doing the same thing, performing for God. I mean, if you think about the Old Testament, it really was very ritualistic. Like we had the temple, and you did what you did at the temple, and that was what worship was. But the thing is, is that grace came in with Christ, 
And the Spirit came in with Christ, and suddenly everything is up in the air. There isn't a right way to do it necessarily. There's still wrong ways, but there isn't like a... And that's, that's uncomfortable. It is uncomfortable. We, we, have, we have rituals here, right? We do pretty much the same thing every week. You come in, there's a song, there's announcements, there's a prayer, there's offering, there's songs, there's a sermon, there's a song, there's a benediction, you go home. And that's comfortable. You know what to expect if you've been with us for a while. But none of us, I think, would say that you have to do it like this or you're doing it wrong. Right? We like it because it's comfortable, but we wouldn't say that this is how it ought to be. That's what they were doing in Colossae. And Paul has been teaching against them. And this is uh, the first thing in your note sheets. Grace has freed true spirituality from the prisons of law. You might even add rituals. Like that, that it has to be like this. This is what faith looks like. This is spirituality. No. There's a radical freedom that comes with grace and liberates people. And so Paul's got that in the background and he turns around and says, and because that's the case, and that's this text, because that's the case, what? The peace of God is going to rule in your hearts, right? You were called in one body. Let the word of Christ, word there is uh, the Greek logos. I, I would probably update this translation. I would say something like uh, the message or principle or uh, the way that we know the universe works because of Christ. Something like that. Um, let that truth kind of dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Right? And, and, and the, what Paul thinks is if that's happening, then what will naturally happen is you will begin to teach and admonish Admonish is a little bit of an older English word, but really like counsel or warn, right? Let the word of Christ uh, dwell in you richly, and then you'll begin teaching and warning each other, what? With psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. It's a little weird for us, unless you're in children's ministry. If you're in children's ministry, you know that one of the most effective ways to teach is to give somebody a song. One that's easy to remember. Preferably it rhymes. Maybe it has colorful imagery. Uh, some, some people will try and say that the, these different words, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, are indicating three different types of... I, I disagree with that. I think Paul, um, because he's Jewish, uh, he thinks Hebrewishly. And in Hebrew, whenever you want to like, emphasize something, you just say it over and over in different words. You kind of emphasize it. So really, when he says uh, teaching and, and counseling and warning one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, you could read, and don't stop singing and teaching and counseling each other. Do not stop it. It's super important. Notice, uh, it's interesting, these, uh, th- these two things here, let the peace of God rule in your hearts, peace there, shalom, um, Hebrew shalom, like uh, the Greek is um, Arane, but the, the idea that Paul's emphasizing is shalom, it's health, it's fullness, it's life, it's thriving. But, but where? Is it thriving out there? Or is it thriving in the community? Notice that you were called in one body. This is communal language. Paul's saying this is supposed to happen in the church. And likewise, I mean, the, the Spirit of Christ is dwelling richly where? In the church. So when the community gathers, we, we teach each other and we warn each other and we, and we have grace in our hearts to the Lord. Why? Why does he kind of, why is he focusing on the community gathering? It's interesting, if you keep reading 17 and then down, you'll notice that he is, he's pivoting from what goes on in the gathering to what goes on outside of the gathering. 
And the reason is because, well, it used to be fun for me. There was a time probably five, six years ago, and and before that, you know, when when smartphones kind of first came out, there was a joy when you broke your smartphone. Like when that thing cracked, you were like, yes, I get to go and sign up for two more years of Verizon, and they're going to give me a free upgrade. And I'm going to get the best new Samsung that's out there. I have the, uh, I'm, I'm starting to get in the, in, the, uh, in the, I'm starting to think about buying another cell phone. So I have a couple here. Uh, one is the Samsung 10S. Probably, no, no, stop, go back. The 10S, Samsung 10S. And then next to it is the iPhone XS Max. And if you can tell the difference between the two, you're incredible. They look the same to me. Uh, what, I, what started happening about six or seven years ago is you would go with your broken phone. They'd be like, you get a great new upgrade. I'm like, oh, sweet. So now you can get the new iPhone, whatever. And, and good news, it retails for only $1,000. But check this out. If you sign up for two more years, we're going to knock 200 bucks off that bad boy. You can walk out of here owing only $800. Whoa, fantastic. And, and then wait, if you're not ready to just write a check... That's okay. We've got a 24-month uh, financing plan where you're only going to add another $24 a month to your bill. And so your regular bill, which is actually, my bill is more than my car payment, which is incredible. Uh, I think about changing the Sprint every day. Uh, it, now it's going to be even more. So I can have the shiny new device that does exactly the same thing as my old device. The thing is, I'm worried. I'm worried about going for a... Because you can go in there, and you can get a free phone, right? It's like a lower-level model. Uh, and I'm thinking about doing this, but my mom did this a couple years ago, and she got the... Uh, we figured out it's the Moto Z-Force. And this... Yeah, it's right there. You can see it. This phone is truly a piece of garbage. She's holding it up. You can look at it right now. This thing is horrible, not only does no one know how to use it, but it like constantly freezes and reboots. So I'm sitting there, I'm caught between a rock and a hard place. What am I going to do? Get the garbage phone or the sign my life away? If some of you know I'm trying to buy a gun. How am I going to buy a gun if I've spent all this money on a cell phone? I've got a lot of first world problems I'm dealing with. Why am I in the, okay, what, what's the bottom line here? Why am I in the, why am I in the cell phone? Well, because my phone no longer keeps its charge, right? Uh, my, uh, it's, it's only two years old. It's an S8, I think, Galaxy S8. And um, I'm constantly checking it because, like, I, I unplug it, right? It's at 100%. By the time I get out of the shower, it's at 84%. And that's only been, like, 15 or 20 minutes. Um, and so I'm stressed out about it. So then I put on the, uh, the battery saving mode. But now it's, like, super slow and doesn't function very well. So what I ended up doing is I finally got uh, like an extra battery pack that like plugs that attaches to it, and even that now is like is just draining, and so I'm I'm worried about my phone all the time. Because what we want out of a phone is we want to be able to plug it in at night, we want to wake up in the morning, and we want to have plenty of juice to get us through the day, right? That's, I mean, it's not like we're sitting there being like, I need extra megapixels on my camera. Like, everyone's got enough megapixels. Okay? At this point, what we're looking for in a phone is reliability and having enough energy to get through the day. 
when it charges up, it's supposed to hold that and it's supposed to get us everything that we need. I mean, we use our phones for so much now. And if they don't, if, it, if it's just draining all the time, it's an extra stressor. And then, you know, I'm going to be like on the, I'm, I'm worried that I won't ha- be able to be contacted. Well, the way Paul is thinking, the reason he's pivoting from uh, talking about the church to looking outside the church is because he's thinking of community gatherings very much like plugging in your cell phone at night. He's thinking of the community gatherings, your church service, your weekly church service or multi-weekly church service. He's looking at that as the moment where you're coming and you're being in, you're like just the word and message of Christ is just settling into you. Right? And, and not only that, but, but God's peace and shalom, uh, with all the people around you, your brothers and sisters are building you up and giving you strength. Right? And so by being together and worshiping together, we get in this, this really charged up place. And that is gonna sustain us throughout the week as we, and we'll see exactly what he's expecting out, uh, throughout the week, but that's gonna get us charged up so that we can begin to worship outside these walls too. That's the next thing in your note sheet. One purpose of communal worship, one, this is not the only uh, purpose, by the way, is to charge up for worship on the weekdays. So by getting the juice in there, getting the, getting the word dwelling richly, by getting the, the peace of God uh, in our, ruling over our hearts, we're ready now for worship on the weekdays. And what does that look like? Let's go back to the text. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Uh, just a FYI, if you're reading in the New King James, you'll notice from time to time there are words in italics. And you'll see that in verse 17, that word do is in italics. Uh, that's because the New King James, um, one of the best things about that translation is that when the translators are, um, when, when they don't feel like it's working perfectly in English, sometimes they'll add a helping word. Uh, to to make make it more sense for us, so we can see what's not actually there, what they've added. And those are those are italicized words. So if you're reading in Greek, this is an interesting sentence. It's it sounds pretty much like this. If you're re- doing a really wooden translation, it'd be like, um, and everything uh, which if you do it all in Jesus' name, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Let me say that again. Uh, whatever, everything, uh, which if you do it, all in Jesus' name, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You can see how that's a little awkward and weird in English. Uh, The reason I I tell you this is because I I don't think the do is is performing the right function there. I think that what's actually going on is, is Paul's just stopping in the middle of his sentence and reminding everyone that everything... Everything is to be done in Jesus' name. It's not like you're gonna. It's not like you're you're walking along. And you're like, okay, I'm gonna do this. I'd better do it in Jesus' name. No, no, no. He's saying I want you to have a mindset where everything that you do is in Jesus' name. Everything out there, even if you're not doing it, honestly, everything in some way is in Jesus' name. Why is that? What does that mean? Well, we got uh, we got the the town crier and the police officer. Yes, this is, uh, this is what I got when I typed in stop in the name of the law on uh, Google. Um, and it came up with that guy. And then when I got uh, in the name of the king, first I got a bunch of pictures of Jason Statham 
who was in a movie called In the Name of the King. So I tried again, and then I got this guy. We, uh, we don't think about this very often because we're... Um, well, we just don't, we don't speak like this anymore. The only time we say this is when we're praying, right? As Christians, as evangelicals, we'll be like, at the end of the prayer, we say, in Jesus' name, amen. Which is sort of funny because sometimes we're praying to Jesus, right? So think, think about this. Like you're like, Jesus, we love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. It's like, it's a little weird. Uh, we could talk about that at another time. But uh, it's, it, it's become sort of a rote habit. But I wonder if we're really thinking about what that means. When that cop goes, stop in the name of the law, he's saying, I'm telling you to stop, but the authority is not mine. I'm not the reason that you should stop. The reason you should stop is because the law is behind me. When the town crier comes out and says, these are the rules now in the name of the king. Town crier, I mean, he doesn't have any power. He's a nobody. He's a, he's a peasant. But what he says has weight because it comes with the authority of the king. What Paul just said, he said everything in the world now is under Jesus' rule. The world doesn't know it yet, and the world is you know, slow to figure it out. But the reality is, is that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God. Everything is under his dominion and command and power. He is sovereign ruler over all things. That's what we mean when we call him Lord. He's the boss. And so whatever it is that we're doing as we go through our lives, it is under his authority. It's in his name. It's because of him that we're able and and, and are doing it. And that's the next thing you know, she's, is that uh, Jesus is now Lord over all. And so the division between secular and sacred has been removed. The guys in Colossae and the church there, they were like, well, in order for it to be really spiritual, we have to do this, this, and this, and this, like we always have. And Paul's saying, no, not really. There is now a possibility of, of religiosity and spirituality that has, it, before it would have been things that you thought had nothing to do with God at all. Stuff like your job. If you go on and keep reading, you're going to find out he starts talking to slaves. You know, it's not cool being a slave. And he's like, but it, you're not just a slave anymore. Now you're a slave in Jesus' name. What you do as a servant, as a slave, is now part of the kingdom of God. It wasn't like before where you just went and you did your slave thing. And it was horrible. And then finally, when you got to church, things were good and you could, and you could be spiritual. And all. No, now that, that spirituality is bleeding over into the rest of life. Every aspect of life becomes worship. Because Jesus is Lord over slaves. Jesus is Lord over households. Jesus is Lord over your job and your friends and your relationships. Jesus' rule is all-encompassing. And so now you can do everything in his name. On the one hand, that's, that's actually really exciting. Because it means for those of you who are like, I don't love the singing... I don't like it when music makes me feel things. The good news for you is that you now are a part of a, of, a, of a dispensation or an age that God has set it up so that even the most mundane things you do can be worship in the same exact way as singing is worship. I want you to notice, um, did you notice that, uh, so, so it's like in Jesus' name, giving thanks, giving thanks to God through him. 
giving thanks. Um, if you were with us these last four weeks, you noticed that we talked about a couple of Hebrew words. One was uh, yada, and one was toda. And both of those get translated in the Old Testament as giving thanks. They can also mean praise. But what's interesting about them is they're extremely physical acts, right? Uh, yada is like this. It's like, thank you, God. If you remember, we uh, had like a... I think they were talking about Japanese baseball or something. But it's like this active, like, yes, God. And then the, the, uh, the other one, Toda, it's, it's like a, a big shout. Ha! That right there, you can actually do that at your desk. Now, that's what, that's what Paul's indicating. He's like, you're sitting, I think I have a picture, right? Do I have a picture of being at your desk amongst other things? Yes. This is how your day normally goes. You're like, I hate this. I love the money, but I hate this. And you're like, oh. And as you, as the, the, the motion of typing on the keyboard, as you fill out that next TPS report, that, that motion itself can literally become the same thing for God as going, yes, Lord, thank you. For students, you know, sitting there, you're like, Alice, she's like, Dad, can I be honest with you? I'm like, sure, honey. She's like, I hate reading. I'm like, great. <sighs> That's going to serve you really well. <laughs> time for more reading, I guess. Uh, so, but, but part of me wants to be like, hey, Alice, guess what? I know you hate reading. I get that. But because of the incoming of the Spirit, because Jesus is Lord, even over your activity of reading, it is possible for when you're reading, for it to be the same thing as when mom puts on your favorite song in the car and you guys are screaming at the top of your lungs, you know, saying all those words and be like, yes, Jesus, we love you. And I'm like, please put on something that's not terrible. And th- but that's, it can be that, honey. If you come at it in a certain way, even uh, just the randomest stuff, like, you know, hanging out with your friends. You'll notice that picture, of, I, if you Google this, hanging out your friend's image search, none of the pictures uh, have whole families. There's no children. It's always like young people without kids, uh, which is an interesting, an interesting comment on the way that we think about you know, hanging out with friends. But anyway, even that right there, that moment where you're feeling that fellowship and that camaraderie, those relationships that you're experiencing are under the lordship of Christ. And as such, when you're communing with people, when you're being with people that meet you at your heart, it can be the same thing. Going, yes, God, thank you, Lord. And of course, parenting, same deal. That's a uh, that's young father trying to put baby to sleep. Um, it's actually way easier. What you do is, um, once the, if you can't stop the child from crying, you, uh, you hand the baby over to your wife, and then it magically solves itself. It's an awesome... <laughs> but even, this is what's crazy, even in that moment where um, you're down on the dumps, you're frustrated, like, oh, this is not going the way that I want, I, this is, and you're, you're totally out of what you might think of as a worship space. Right? You might usually worship, we're like, oh, worship, I'm happy. The interesting thing is, is that the scriptures don't make some distinction between like happy worship and, and sad worship. There's lots of worship in the Bible that's really dark. Uh, I have a sermon from, I think it was last summer, called Dark Worship. And if you're interested, I'd love for you to check it out. It's on our website. But what's cool about it is it, it gives us permission as, as Christians, as, as people, to be in a 
dark place when we worship. So even, even that moment where you're just tearing your hair out with frustration, you know, you're sick, you're at a loss, whatever it is, whatever it is, word or work, whatever you're doing, even that can become a moment where you can thank and be praising God in the midst of your frustration and sadness and anger. Now, what we've been learning for the last four weeks, though, or last five weeks, is that, that worship has to be done in a particular way, okay? Worship has to be heart, head, and hands. It can't just be one of those, okay? Worship can't just be one or two. It really, for it to bring rest to your soul, uh, to, to be the kind of thing that God's designed us for, it's got to be all three. And so I, I, I came up with a couple of uh, three questions to address this, okay? So as you're, you're thinking about, you're going to leave this place, and you're going to be super pumped because there's great music, and you love hanging out with the people, and a couple of the jokes landed, and so you're really stoked, and you're going out there, and you're thinking about what it looks like to worship on the weekdays. The first thing is, when you're doing whatever it is that you do, pause. Ask this question. How does this activity fit into God's kingdom? When I say God's kingdom, I mean, um, you know, the kingdom is, is not yet, but there's a part of it that's here now. We participate in it through the Spirit. What is it that you're doing with your hands or your head or your heart, whatever it is, what is it that you're doing right now and how does it in some way impact the kingdom of God? My guess is for most of us, the answer to that question is something like, well, it doesn't really. You know, I'm putting in my time here because I need to eat um, and I need to be able to afford my cell phone bill. Uh, but I'm not this, you know, I'm doing financials for like some corporation. I submit to you that if what you're doing is not sin, it actually can and does fit into God's kingdom. Even something that seems so abstract as doing financials for some corporation can actually have an impact. And maybe it's just, maybe it's just through the money that is, is generated. That's fine. But that money can be used as a resource to build up your family, build up the church, build up and advance God's mission on, in the world. What you're doing is not pointless. It is underneath the lordship of Jesus Christ. He is, it's done in his name. His power and authority is authorizing and making it possible. Some, uh, some of us, it's a little easier to answer that question. You know, for people who, especially those who are in um, sort of help types of uh, professions, you know, teachers, um, uh, yeah, in mental health, things like that where you're, where you're, you know, with people and you can see very clearly there's an, an impact that you're having. And this isn't just a job. It's actually vocational. It is part of the kingdom of God. Even if you're in the public schools and you can't say Jesus. But that pause, that moment where you remember this fits into God's work. That is the, the head part, the head, the intellectual part of beginning to make it worship. The next thing, the heart. How can I begin thanking or praising God while I'm doing this, or as I, or through the way that I'm doing this? That's a tough one. 
um, especially if you're in a profession that's really uh, heady and really intellectual and engaging. It's, it's challenging mentally because there's not usually a whole lot of place for uh, emotion in that. Um, but, but if you can see the end goal, and you can see how this is impacting the kingdom of God. This is for Jesus. This is a thanksgiving to the Father. Then there is possible to begin emotionally engaging in all the things that we do. In such a way that it's not just like, this is fun, or I'm enjoying this, or I'm not enjoying this, or I'm mad, or I'm sad. But instead, aiming those emotive experiences to God, saying, God, this is yours. This is, I'm yours. And then, of course, hands. How can I be intentional about being physically present to this activity? Uh, so it's, uh, this, is, this is a major problem that we especially have in the West now. In the post-industrial age, most of us are doing repetitive tasks. The way that um, our economy is set up, we, we do the same things over and over. Um, and it becomes very boring. And when you're on autopilot, you know this because, you know, you're driving... And you're like, and for a second you're like, wait a minute, this is not where I wanted to go. I'm actually supposed to be going home. Why am I here at Pavilions? I, how did that happen? I don't know. I must be hungry. Like, if if you set your mind on autopilot, you will be f- not present. You'll be like off in the woo, and and you'll end up going somewhere else. It is so easy to get in that place, especially in the modern work work uh, workplace. How then can we be settled and be recognizing that this is a bodily activity? This is something that, like, dude, like it or not, if you're sitting there typing all day, that's changing your brain. You are becoming less, uh, well, there's some advantages to it, but there's also some disadvantages. Everything that you do physically is having an impact. If we could uh, go back to those pictures, you know, what would it look like in these situations you know, you're, you're, you're a student, or you're a parent, or you're working, or you're hanging out with friends, to be self-conscious about the fact that this too is under Jesus' lordship, and this too is a bodily heart, head, hands, worship of God. That this right now here, this normal life, every aspect of normal life can be just the same as being at the temple and going, yes, God, thank you, God, we praise you, God. And so that the worship maybe begins here and charges up here, but then spills over into the weekdays. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for the gift of grace in Jesus Christ. We thank you that you've made it so that the fun and, and the joyful things of our lives can be worship the challenging and boring and tough things can also be worship. The things that drag us down, that too, God, can be an opportunity to thank you and to love you and to praise you. God, I just pray that worship settles into our hearts here in this place, that we, we have the word, the message of Christ dwelling in us richly, that, that we have the peace, your shalom ruling in our hearts so that when we go out, we go out to the weekdays, Lord, that the worship will continue in the most mundane and surprising and exciting tasks. In every event and, and place of being that we can be uh, heart, head, hands, intentional, present, 
to praising and thanking you, that you would really truly be the center of our lives. God, bless us, empower us with your spirit, and keep us richly dwelling in the word and the love of Christ. In his name we pray, amen.